0: Welcome to Hearing the Pulitzers, a piece-by-piece, episode-by-episode exploration of the winners of the Pulitzer Prize in Music, with hosts Andrew Grenade and David Thurmeyer.
1: Welcome to Hearing the Pulitzers. My name is Andrew Grenade. And my name is David Thurmeyer. And we're glad to welcome you to our inaugural edition of Hearing the Pulitzer, a new podcast that's going to be covering the history of the Pulitzer Prizes in music. We
0: thought we'd start by giving you a little bit of history of who we are. Yes, so uh, my name is David, as I mentioned, and I am a music theory professor at the University of Missouri, Kansas City and
1: I'm Andrew Grenade, and I'm a musicology professor at the University of Missouri-Kansas City. And Dave and I have been teaching together for a number of years, doing a -a co-taught-a-class, and so we decided that we would just bring our show on the
0: road and put it (laughs) onto a podcast to share uh, with the world. And this came about because because podcasts are now such a popular thing and a really good communication mechanism to get ideas out there. uh, When Kendrick Lamar won the Pulitzer last year, uh, it kind of got me thinking. Hmm. You know, this is this is the first really uh, controversial. Controversial. <laughs> I mean, very people talking about it in the New York Times. Yes. And, yeah. Exactly. It was really, really publicized, and so it made me think. Well, let's look back and see all of the different award winners, because for so many years in the way we teach our classes and uh, our research, we keep seeing these names, and that's the, the whole Pulitzer prize name is kind of associated with a composer who's really established and someone you should know and so when somebody like Kendrick Lamar a a, you know pop uh, hip-hop artist wins it's very different than somebody like Elliot Carter or Charles Ives or people like that so it got us thinking it might be fun to actually go through all of the different winners going all the way back to 1943 and uh, see how the award has changed and what it's meant in American musical culture.
1: Well, and especially you came to me with the list and you said, look at all these names that we looked through there. We'll see John Montaigne. <laughs> someone we never talk about. Who, <laughs> Frankly, we're wondering who he was. Yeah. Wayne Peterson. Wayne all Peterson. All these that's names. A, that's a new one <laughs> to me still. <laughs> all these names that we didn't know. So we got to thinking if the Pulitzer Prize is supposed to award the highest composition in the uh, previous year, then what does that actually mean uh, in terms of the place of these prizes in American history? And we thought that would be a useful thing to kind of explore together. Mm -hmm. So what we're going to do is every podcast, we're going to explore one of the pieces that was won starting in 1943 and coming all the way up to the present day. And we thought we would explore one piece and look at the history of the piece, how it came to win, who was on the jury, uh, what they said about the piece, and then take it into the present and see is that piece still performed? People still talking (laughs) about that piece? What actually is the place of the Pulitzer Prize in American
0: cultural history? Exactly. So going back, you hear the Pulitzer name a lot. And I always thought of the name as as he was a newspaper person. Uh, And then you hear about the winners for journalism, for literature, for all the different areas. So uh, where, how, I don't even know, when did all of this start? When did the Pulitzer even begin? So we went back and we looked and tried to, to find that out because it is one of those things that every year
1: they announce the Pulitzer Prizes and you go, wonderful, and then you, you move on. So where did this come from? And what we found was that Pulitzer basically wanted to establish journalism as an important, prestigious profession. Uh, he was himself uh, a journalist and he wanted to keep it, uh, as he said, one of the great intellectual professions um, equal to if it was the profession of law or medicine. And he thought awarding uh, the best in journalism every year would be the way to go. So in 1902, he started thinking through this before uh, he passed away and said, I'm going to endow Columbia School of Journalism, and I'm going to also give money to start these Pulitzer Prizes. And this was nine years before he passed away. So he was mm. already thinking of this, but he stipulated, it's not going to start until five years after I die. <laughs> wow. <Okay. laughs> I think he wanted to let the, the <laughs> dust settle for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so that's what they did, but they had a very specific idea when they first put these out, and that is, and this is the great quote, a high-flown sense of morality, a sense of uplift and self-sacrifice.
0: Ooh! (laughs) (laughs) So very much part of the time, thinking of American culture, uh, before... Prohibition or around that period, sort of the twenties, before the twenties when no, things nineteen teens when these are yeah being established. before the craziness of the twenties and so kind of the high moral culture, I think that's very interesting and and the description or we keep seeing this word distinguished all mm-hmm. the time and we're going to talk about that a little bit later with the music award but the whole idea of a, an award being given for moral uplift and for kind of that reason what mm-hmm. does that I mean can, what do you make of that? Well, I
1: think it's part and parcel when we talk about American music and you look at the uh, mid romantic period right the big 19th century uh, in the United States, and when they're talking about music, they're talking about music as a sense of uplift, mm. and that it's supposed to increase the the morality of the people who listen to it. Um, and you see this this is a recurring argument, right? Yeah, I mean, it still is. It and still yeah. is. People talk about any new music, whether it be rock and roll or hip hop or anything, that is going to destroy the morals, <laughs> right? You go back to our childhood <laughs> in the nineteen eighties yep. and all the parental advisory stickers that oh, were going yeah. on, and going, oh, we shouldn't be listening. To that. it's going to vulgar destroy lyrics, it. exactly yeah, <laughs> corrupt young minds. Yeah. And I think the Pulitzer got in trouble uh, early on because of that. Um, because, in terms of the plays, it literally said in the description of what's going to make a, a Pulitzer Prize winning play, it said it had to have good morals, good taste, and good manners. Well, that cuts uh, out a lot of that's Shakespeare. Gonna, right? I was say, that's <laughs> pretty uh, good. Yeah. So, the original award, I think, was pretty conservative. Mm-hmm. It was pretty much the same idea coming off of the previous century, the Victorian era, this yeah. good moral uplift for the, for the nation. Obviously, that's not what it is anymore. <laughs> no, <laughs> <laughs> but that's
0: that's how it was at least through the 19, 1920s. Something else too that really gives me a sense of understanding of why this award is the way it is is it was established at Columbia, so it's right. a very East Coast New York prize. Columbia, an Ivy League institution, something that's very, uh, you know very uh, exclusive type of university, uh, and so the types of awards. I, I think it's not going to be a surprise that a lot of who the, ends com- up winning yeah who ends up winning because it, it's based there and kind of the the culture of people who teach at those at schools in new york city and in that area so i mean it makes a lot of sense new york is the cultural hub mm-hmm. of the u.s and everybody is everybody has their pieces played there so uh, i guess i understand that but it's going to raise some it does. questions as we go through
1: Well, and it's also, I think, uh, it was wise of Pulitzer when he put this bequest together. He said it needed to be a separate advisory board, so it couldn't Mm -hmm. be like the president of Columbia making these decisions. But he wanted a separate board, uh, and those people would make the decisions. But then how that board perpetuated itself, we're going to see into the 1940s and 50s with the music prize, uh, ended up being a little bit of a a bump (laughs) in the road. (laughs) (laughs) A little bit. (laughs) As these things were developed. Uh, So let's talk a little bit about how the music prize came to be, because although the Pulitzers themselves were established in journalism, in play, novels. Uh, they weren't established in music for another 30 years.
0: Mm-hmm. So Pul- he was devoted, of course, being in New York, uh, really uh, affiliated with the New York Philharmonic, gave them a nice $500,000 gift. That's a lot of money in that, that day. That was <laughs> a lot of money back then, equal to what he gave Columbia. And so the whole idea, which was not uncommon in 19th century, late 19th century, early 20th century American music was to try to build an American culture of music instead of only focusing on Europeans, uh, which is a, a something we talk about in our mm-hmm. classes a lot. The whole idea of you can't hire an American conductor because they don't have a foreign-sounding name. Right, you would
1: go to the, the orchestras in the United States and you'd have your orchestra in German. It would yeah. be conducted completely in German, yeah. not
0: in English. Exactly. And so uh, to try to build an American style, we had this award uh, established. And so in the 1940s, uh, let's think about who were the people teaching in the 1940s at Columbia. Well, it's a lot of names that you think <laughs> that we were just talking about, the kind of high modernist type people. So Roger Sessions, Milton Babbitt, uh, and th- that kind of group there. Uh, and it was a, another way to come up with an award in the similar style to the Prix de Rome. You think of the Prix de Rome was very important. Uh, Debussy, all the French composers won it. Many, many f- famous composers. Kind of a, a mark of, I don't know, legitimacy, mm-hmm. maybe? Yeah,
1: Absolutely yeah and it's also interesting that columbia was the place where composition was va- highly valued they had the first doctor of musical arts in composition was oh. at columbia university so it kind of made sense that this is where we would be celebrating composition and they had money they had um an established scholarship that they said was supposed to go for composers that so well if we have these compositional life it's really growing by the time we get to the 1940s compositional yeah. life in america is growing So they thought, what if we just flip that instead of using that money to to fund a student? Why don't we instead put it in and create a new Pulitzer Prize uh, in music? And that's basically what they did. Yeah, Um, Because they had things like the Guggenheim Fellowship already established, so this becomes another way that they can Mm -hmm. um,
0: begin to award these other American composers, people um, they like. Yeah, people, (laughs) exactly, exactly. So this is happening during World War II. Oh, yeah, exactly. And the funding of you know roosevelt with a lot of efforts to try to build arts within the culture within american life uh and try to legitimize american performers american musicians uh, and so this description is really it's fabulous fascinating. yeah so the description of the award this, this is was, in 1943 yes for a distinguished musical composition by an american in any of the larger forms including chamber, orchestral, choral, opera, song, dance, or other forms of musical theater, which has had its first performance in the United States during the year. Hmm. I think it's fascinating. Yeah. Larger forms. Larger forms. So they want an important large piece. Yes. Although, including chamber, is a string quartet a large form, I guess?
1: It could be. Depending on the length of the string quartet? Yeah. It's so not a three-minute string quartet piece, but a multi-movement. Right. And, and this, word, this is the word that I keyed into, is a distinguished musical composition. Mm-hmm.
0: What do they mean by distinguished? Well, you and I taught this freshman experience class mm-hmm. for a couple of years, and we talked about what makes a piece fit into the canon or become part of the canon. I think there's something similar here maybe implied. For something to be distinguished, I think it has to have some awareness about it needs to be performed uh needs to have be performed by people who are politically connected maybe (laughs) well it doesn't say
1: anything about uh, the best
0: composition it doesn't no it never says this is the best musical composition
1: by an american in any of the larger forms (laughs) over the past year yeah it's just a distinguished that's a very it's a very squishy word yeah that you're putting in here that gives them a lot of leeway i think
0: of who they might select hmm what would make something not distinguished then think of the opposite something a tiny a little question. piece or
1: no one paid attention to it
0: yeah
1: but some of the pieces that won no one paid attention <laughs> <And> to <laughs> haven't been heard <laughs> from
0: since <laughs> 1948 or whatever <laughs> i also
1: think maybe distinguish good craftsmanship okay it's distinguished in the way that it's composed mm-hmm. so that gets out the riffraff who are yeah because I mean, if you think at the time so 1943 um this is the time of jazz and swing era, uh, and right, right. they obviously band. didn't want that to be awarded. Yeah. By cutting out, by saying any of the larger forms, they've cut out that whole kind of strata of important musical culture
0: in the 1940s. Mm-hmm. Pretty interesting. I mean, plus the fact that where it's start where it's being established, Columbia is not probably going to be friendly to non... And that type of music. Yeah, that yeah. type of music. So it's even more baked in the cake there.
1: Well, and even coming down to today, so this is the current description that you can find on the Pulitzer website. For a distinguished musical composition by an American that has had its first performance or recording in the United States during the year, $15,000. So they took out the larger forms. Yep. They got rid of that section um, and just shortened it, but they kept the distinguished musical composition. Hmm. But now they've allowed in things like jazz, so went Marsalis mm-hmm. about 20 mm-hmm. years ago, finally, uh, jazz award, first jazz award. Yep, uh, And then just last year with Kendrick Lamar, piece of popular music a hip-hop album was able Mm -hmm. to win because it's a distinguished musical composition so by taking out that larger form section they were able to expand (laughs) (laughs) what they're
0: willing to to true consider well and i think our as we are going to trace all the way through here the whole definition of what distinguished means uh like i think if we're talking about the kendrick lamar distinguished could also mean amount of money made or amount of popularity among the buying public or streaming public or however you want to look at it so whereas back in the 40s i don't think they were looking for record sales uh certainly not so it's, but i think the whole criteria have changed they've
1: completely changed yeah. uh, completely upended it in many ways hmm and it's also interesting to me thinking about that word distinguished and how the prizes change. And this is one of the reasons why we want to do this podcast is that you can kind of trace changes in American culture and especially American music by right. who's being celebrated and who's being awarded and when those changes happen to hit. So mm-hmm. when do we have the first woman being awarded? When do we have, like we said, the first jazz album? Now with the first popular music album, when do those things begin to change? And what's changing in the culture that's reflected either
0: Immediately or a couple of years later, Mm -hmm. and who's winning the Pulitzer Prize? Yeah. Well, there's a lot of people, and you've got some good quotes, I know. Uh, (laughs) A lot of people, including some award winners, who poo poo these awards and kind of say, and Charles Ives, who's my main area of research, uh, had a great quote about prizes being for boys. (laughs) I'm a man. (laughs) Uh, And I get that, but no matter how you feel about it, there is still some recognition or something you know again i keep using this word legitimizing but if you do win an award like this it does create some kind of aura about you and you are now part of a club and the club has been broadening certainly in the last 60 years but uh still or 70 it's uh yeah it's just there's a lot of interesting questions that come up as we're looking at it through history and kind of seeing what were the main issues and what were the criteria used for giving people these awards. And it's fascinating to also watch what people thought
1: about the awards throughout time. So that's some of the great quotes (laughs) that you were just kind of mentioning. I'll just kind of throw some of these out there for you to kind of respond to (laughs) because I I love to see what people have thought about it throughout uh, history. Um, So just uh, two years ago, 2017, um, in the nation the critic david hyde was looking at the award and said that um, it <laughs> it's an award for irrelevance bestowed oh. by an insular largely male club of aesthetic isolationists to its own membership
0: wow that's just 2 years ago that's two yeah and yeah. and
1: that idea of it being you know an award that's given to people uh, by a small group is uh, pretty common so mm-hmm. let's go back that was 2017 let's go back to 1991 this is a an, an article that Kyle Gann wrote when he was the critic at the Village Voice. Uh, and he was talking about the awarding of the um, Pulitzer that year. And he went on to talk about who had won and who hadn't won, and who he thought should have won. Uh, so he said Instead of influential experimentalists, Feldman, Parch, Cage, Reich, Oliveros, Young, Ashley, Tinney, the Pulitzer has gone to many names that would be unknown even to new music fans Sowerby, Talk, <laughs> La Montaigne, Bassett. How many of those do you know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's kind of got a point. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, given to academic composers by other academic composers, the Pulitzer has become a reward for conformity and a compensation prize for ineffectuality. But it gives the public the idea that the winners represent the best modern music and an excuse to conclude that American music sucks. <laughs> well, how does he really feel? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. What do you think? Cause I, he, he addresses exactly one of the things that we've just been uh, kind of skirting around, and that's what the American public thinks. Do mm-hmm. they see these awards and go, oh, that's a piece I should be listening to? Are they largely irrelevant? Are they just who we're going to put into our American music classrooms? Yeah. W-
0: what does the American public think about these awards? That's going to be an ongoing question, I think. Uh, one great book that we've consulted uh, contains a lot of the programs that where these pieces were played and how, how who nominated mm-hmm. them and who was on the board and all of the, the critics who were involved in, in nominating these pieces. So the public, I think, generally is not a consideration uh, for, well, I mean, classical music already is a niche right. audience these days, especially. But even back in the 40s, when it had more cultural currency, I hope, uh, yeah, I don't I don't think it's based on popularity. It's based on these perhaps modernist, high modernist criteria that have seeped in of complexity or uh yeah, I mean kind of high and mighty themes. Right. Or the good craftsmanship, the yeah, complexity, good craftsmanship, all this. Right.
1: Nineteen eighty nine winner, Roger Reynolds, he even noted that, you know, looking at the Pulitzer, it's a place for people who write difficult music, right? Unconventional music, music that the public is not going to appreciate can be mm-hmm. rewarded and uh, appreciated. But that becomes, the question is, is there a place, and you go back to, you know, Milton Babbitt, is there a place for music that the public doesn't want to listen to? Is there a place for that in our contemporary culture? And should there be?
0: Right. And that's the whole article by Milton Babbitt, The Composer is Specialist, or Who Cares If You Listen?, to, this is very much modeled after the ivory tower mm-hmm. institutional university composer and the rise of that whole idea of being experimental and still having employment and being able to feed your family uh but to so called you know push the limits and experiment on things and the popular people you know the public doesn't understand that at first uh or maybe they just have to be trained or educated to appreciate this thing instead of just going with whatever is most popular. So I do see some validity in that. I think it's uh, some of the composers on our list have the fortune of being both. Right. Like, for example, Aaron Copland could write some very thorny, challenging, not user-friendly music, but also wrote some extremely popular music, too. But so. even his popular music can be
1: thorny it and well, that's <laughs> really true. interesting. That's true. Yeah. But there was a time that, and we'll see this in kind of the mid-century, when this award was given to people who were of a certain type, a certain academic pedigree that they needed to have, who were friends with people on the jury, Mm. and so it just kind of got passed around. Um, I think you see the same thing with the Guggenheim and all these Mm. kind of East Coast awards, that we're going to recognize the people that we appreciate what they're doing, and it doesn't matter with the rest of the population, and hopefully they'll kind of come along. We've gotten to the point now where that isn't the case.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. It's a very different world now. I mean, do you think, what do you think about the public being a factor in all of this, or the, the concert goer, and then they see, so you're, you have a subscription to the Kansas City Symphony, which is where we are, uh, and you see there's a work by John LaMontagne <laughs> on there. Strangely enough, some, someone performs one. Uh, I mean, then you see, oh, he's an award winner.
1: Oh, okay. Well, you're right. It becomes the stamp for, especially those kind of prestige yeah. organizations uh, a small chamber music group is going to be different than uh, the, the Kansas City Symphony or the Chicago Symphony mm-hmm. or the New York Philharmonic or any of those uh, larger groups. It does become a kind of stamp to say, okay, so I can listen to this as a as a public, as a member of the general public buying audience, not public, ticket buying audience. Mm-hmm. I'm perfectly fine to be able to go
0: and listen to this piece because it has that kind of impriture of the Pulitzer Prize. Yeah, yeah, and it's a stamp because I, I have a record of uh, one of our winners, Carl Husa and he won it for 1968, I believe, it was 469, for a string quartet. And no less than four places on the record, it says <laughs> Pulitzer Prize winner, Carl Husa, And it's that's almost a marketing. It does, technique. it becomes
1: almost like the Academy Award. Once someone wins an Academy Award, they're forever Academy Award winner. Yeah. yeah. So on our faculty here, we have a Pul- Pulitzer Prize winner, Joe Long. And yep. it's now in all of the press things that come out from the University of Missouri-Kansas City where we teach, and it just says Pulitzer Prize winner, show
0: long. Exactly. It's exactly. always going to be there. Right. So, I don't know. It's, uh, there's so many issues, I think, that are raised in this whole award process that I think it's going to be fascinating to look from the beginning with our first winner, William Schumann, who was the uh, head of Juilliard back in 1943, uh, which is going to be our our first official Peace podcast uh, for his piece, The Secular Cantata Number 2, A Free Song. That's right. Yeah.
1: And that's where we'll start next week. So we hope that today what we've been able to give you is kind of an overview of some of the big ideas that we're going to be discussing. We haven't given you many answers because (laughs) we'll be giving those as we go, but I think you also get a sense more of kind of where we land on a lot of these issues and the kind of um, personal opinions that we have. But hopefully we will give you a kind of sense of why the prize is important uh, and looking at American history through the lens of this prize. We're going to learn some very interesting things. And hopefully you'll join us next week when we look at William Schumann, his <laughs> secular cantata number two, a free song. Uh, as we finish today, we want to be sure that we do thank um, Pulitzer Prize winner Joe Long, who has provided us for our theme song here taken from his Concerto for Tycho and Timpani. We also want to thank the Society for American Music, who's supporting this through their Sight and Sound Subvention, uh, making it possible for us to do this recording. Uh, and we also want to thank today Julia Kuhlman, who wrote a thesis uh, last year called Prizes Winning and Identity, Narrative Vocal Music of the Pulitzer Prize, 2008 to 2018, which gave us a lot of the history that we found about the founding of the Pulitzer Prize, and especially the Pulitzer Prize in
0: music. Mm-hmm. Yes, and we also want to thank Tristan Harris, our producer, for uh, working with us through this whole uh, how many, how many are there set? How many awards do we even have? Oh, my here? gosh. We should know this number. We should shouldn't know. We? <laughs> <laughs> how many? Posters? It's going to be a lot. 43. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> there were a few <laughs> years that weren't, there weren't any given, which is also, I think, going to be a, a, something useful to talk about, is why were there no awards in a couple of years and what was going on with the committee and what was happening. And so so the special citations that were given yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. It's a tangled a, web
1: for a couple of those years. It, It'll it is. It'll be exciting to find.
0: It is. so. Yeah, so join us again next time for William Schumann.
1: And this has been Hearing the Pulitzers. I'm Andrew. And I'm David. And we'll talk to you later.